to the Voncast, the most heretical podcast about the New Jedi Order. I'm your host, Megan, and with me are my co-hosts, Rocky and Bria. This month, we'll be talking about Edge of Victory number one, Conquest by Greg Keyes, in which Nenyim graduates Shaper School, Yusun Vong worldbuilding happens through relationship drama, and Tahiri has an exceptionally bad teenage personality crisis. Grab your villa, tune in, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. (laughs) That Um, was a very good description for Tahiri. (laughs) Hi. Yes, that took every last ounce of my force of will to not burst out laughing while you were talking. Oh, good. (laughs) There will be many feelings about Tahiri in this episode. Um, Oh, yes. As a reminder, here on the Voncast, we don't talk about spoilers for future books in the series, but we do go through today's book pretty thoroughly. So if you haven't read it yet pause the recording, read the book, and come back and join us. Or you can just be spoiled from a, for a book from 2001. I guess that's fine. So, um, as our tradition, I'm going to read the summary. Um, no longer content with the destruction that Yusun Vong have already sown, Warmaster Tsvong Law has demanded the heads of all the Jedi. Now the Jedi Knights are in terrible danger, and none more so than the young students at the Jedi Academy on Yavin 4, Already, the sympathizers, known as the Peace Brigade, the Peace Brigade, are in the Yavin system, and a Yusun Vong fleet is not far behind. At Luke Skywalker's request, Talon Card mounts an expedition to rescue the young students. Anakin Solo has his own ideas. Impatient and figuring that forgiveness is easier to come by than permission, he takes off for Yavin Four in his X-wing. When it, when it comes to confidence, courage, and raw force talent, Anakin has few peers. But when his friend Tahiri is separated from the other Academy kids and captured by the Yusan Vong, even Anakin may be in over his head. But the aliens have a different future in mind for Tahiri, and they will stop at nothing to achieve their horrific ends. I love this, like, over-the-top description of Anakin. He's so he's full of raw force talent. I absolutely love how he basically stole the family car and ran off chasing after his best friend, even after every single adult is just like Anakin no. And he's like, Anakin, yes. <laughs> and Yeah. Did you see the part that I uh that I tweeted when I was reading this last week? Because the point where he's like, I'm not a child. <laughs> And I'm just like, yes. honey, you're 16 years old. You are a child. Thank you, Ariel. I mean, Anakin. And yes. then I'm going, wow, I was like that age when I was first reading these. And I still raise a skeptical eyebrow at the kids' ages because they feel so much older. And now as an adult, I am like, who allowed this 16-year-old to run away unsupervised? This is the worst plan ever. I'm just like... The back of this book makes it sound like Anakin is striding across the Jedi, the temple with like perfect hair and like it, his t- teeth gleaming. When in fact, for some of this book, he was literally stuffed into the stomach of an animal. <laughs> like it was oh not. God. He got vomited <laughs> was... by a fish. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were quite a few points in this book where I went either ew or burst out laughing. <laughs> Or both. So, yes. Yes. 
So this book is one of my favorites, and I think we've all been really looking forward to it for many reasons, um, two of which are Nenyim and Tahiri, but also because of the setting. I really love the Yavin 4 temple, so to see it destroyed was, um, you know, very emotional to me, but actually made me love this book even more because it was all about fighting over familiar ground and avenging very personal wrongs and that sort of thing. I love the, the, I have an image in my head that's so strong of the temple being destroyed when we never actually see that in the book. So I think I must just have thought about it so often that it feels like I saw it when in fact most of it takes place off screen. But so you're in these this familiar situation and everything is alien. And I really love that about it. Um... We also, along with the many, many excellent characters in this book, there is also Borsk Felaya, who is terrible. Uh. <laughs> so, I think, yeah, so let's talk about, um, let's talk about Borsk and uh, Nancy's question for a little bit first. So Nancy had probably one of the most common questions ever. If there were to be an FAQ about Felia, this would be on it. Why is Borsk Felia such an asshole? I don't and, know, but this is a very impressive showing of how much of one he is. Yeah, he's in one scene, and in that scene, he basically says, I know this is happening, I know it's bad, and I refuse to help. And it's just like, how how much worse can you get, buddy? There are children, you're like letting children die, basically. He's almost like a parody of himself this is, at this point. Uh, I'm like... Yeah. You just keep doing the wrong thing. Like, you go, what is the right thing to do? And then you just do the opposite. Like, all the reasons for... Hey, maybe that's how he makes it decisions. It might be. I don't know. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> I would say we don't know why, Nancy. Scientists could study him for a very, very long time and probably not come up with an answer for why Vela is the worst. And also an asshole. I was going to say, I think the narrative reason is because the Jedi have to continue to clash with the New Republic. But that this book doesn't even necessarily mean that, or need that, rather. Because it's also all about Anakin clashing with the Jedi. So it's not like we need an extra, the Jedi are going again, you know, fighting the power teenage rebellion. Like, we don't really need that, but we're kind of getting that anyway. Yeah. Well, also, Phalia being terrible gives the Jedi a reason to say, okay, we're going to try to not totally, totally butt heads with him. And Anakin goes, I don't care. I'm going back to Yavin 4. Yeah. Yes. Ah, uh, to be 16 I don't and be know 16. everything. No. Sometimes I miss it. No. <laughs> And my brain still has convinced I, think, I am 16. I, yeah, I definitely still feel like I'm 16 in some ways, which also, can, can we talk about how weird it is that Mezhan Quad is basically described as being like, like what we would call a new adult, right? It says she's like, just or like early adulthood. So imagining she's like late 20s or something. And, or like maybe early 30s. And... Like, that's my age range, and that's weird, because I'm used to being Nenyim's age range. Yes, yes. I mean, like, two-thirds of my brain is firmly convinced that I am still, like, somewhere in the 16 to 18 range. 
And then I remember I'm not, I'm really, really, really not. And it's very disturbing. <laughs> or at least it's a little odd to reread this now and realize that, oh, Meson Quad is meant to be like closer to my age. The I am way closer to 30 than 16. And I don't know. I don't feel adulty enough for that. I try not to feel like that much of an adult, but also now people introduce their kids to me as Miss Bria or something like that. And I'm like, oh, I get the the title in front of my name now. Okay. (laughs) I'm an adult. I don't like this. I think I accepted my adulthood when I realized that my friends were getting married and having children on purpose. But that still doesn't make me happy. I'm still a teenager with a drinking permit and lower car insurance rates. In a way, I guess it's a positive thing because Nenium is all about ambition and about, like, learning more. And she kind of feels like she has her life ahead of her. So that's a positive way to feel. Like, no matter what age you are, you can still aspire to lose your hand and do illegal biotech research. (laughs) (laughs) I still think that would have been slightly more interesting than my actual early 20s, which for I think most of us was kind of like running around like we were possibly on fire trying to figure out how the world worked. I, I'm well, really not in favor of losing my hand. I, no, it, it I'm, got, I'm kind of attached to mine. Oh, man. I feel like most of my early 20s was actually spent making sure I could end up on podcasts like this. So, <laughs> go me! <laughs> like, actually, yeah, I did spend my early 20s doing the Well Express, now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. you... Oh, yeah, yeah. There was definitely a lot of 1138 writing. There was definitely a lot of fandom in general, and fandom-related drama. Oh, wait, that's been a constant in my life for a good yeah, while. And now we have earned our shaper headdresses and can arrange them into mm-hmm. skeptical arrangements toward other people. <laughs> yes. Look, if that actually works, I need to go borrow one and test it out for purposes. Yeah, I feel like we should all be it wearing... improve my entertainment. Why aren't we wearing fancy headdresses right now? I oh, feel like man. this is a problem. <laughs> I'm, like, making movements with my hands over my head. Does that count? I don't think so. <laughs> oh, okay. I wish I had any sewing ability whatsoever. Well, any creative ability, because I would totally get some felt and creativity and turn out something very tentacled and pretty pretty hilarious looking. Oh, my gosh. I should have worn, I own a knit Nautilin hat. <laughs> I I should have worn it. (laughs) That would have been perfect. Yes. Yes. (laughs) There are probably pictures of it on the internet somewhere. Um, So we, I knew I would just want to talk about Nanyim this whole time. And that's what I'm doing. Yes. Before I get to my, (laughs) yes. Before I get to my actual like speech about why I love her. um, Let's talk a little bit about the humans that are sent to help the, you know, the Jedi on Yavin 4. And Bria talked about how Talon Card and Shadow Dukal were the original space married. And yes, besides that moment of fear where I yes. actually thought she was dead for a minute because I didn't yes. remember what else she does, I don't have as many feelings about them. So go I on. I have like, so many feelings. Tell me. <laughs> yes. 
because they're totally together. Like they were leading towards it at the end of the uh, the Thrawn duology or whatever it was called. And then you know that at some point they're like, look how well we work together. And oh gosh, we're basically space married. And then they were like, you know, space married. And uh, yeah. <laughs> They're awesome and they're perfect. They are so together. I like. The, I love them so much. I love how she's just like, yeah, like it's fine. I'm alive. What were you upset? Like, is this a problem, boss? And then they're just perfect, and I love them. And they don't get enough page time, and they're amazing. And you can tell I'm sick because I'm just saying the same words over and over again. <laughs> the fan casting that Nancy suggested of Idris Elba and Ming-Na Wen as Cardin yes. Shada is great. I like, want credit for the Shada part yes. of that. The Shada part was okay. me. <laughs> she stole it, the Shada part of me. I approve. <laughs> I approve so very much. <laughs> like, she'd be amazing. Yes. She'd just have this. Like, that is absolutely perfect. Just, just give her a fancy dress and some pointy sticks in her hair. And then he just has to look suave mm-hmm. and, like, it's done. And, like, he'd have some gray in his hair and it would all be very good. Oh, oh man. <laughs> yes. I so very deeply approve. Oh, this is perfect. <sighs> yes. yes. So, uh, they were, they did their I part. I choose to for have this mental image in my mind. I love it. They, they did their part so both much. for the space battle and as aesthetically perfect people. Yes. And actually, I get really yes. mad that everyone's like, because I wrote down a note when I was reading. Where I was like, everyone should just like, why don't you trust Card at this point? Like he's he's proven himself like, more than enough, and just being like, oh well, can we trust him? And I'm like, shut up, just you guys <sighs> know you can trust him, and you know perfectly well that that regardless of what he says, he is trustworthy. There are times when he's talking to less trustworthy smugglers or opponents, and he will totally lie to their faces. Yeah, because of his loyalties. It's like you really think and that he's gonna go yeah, against Mara Jade, like really? <laughs> yeah, no, he knows what she's capable of, or at least has some general idea, and knows that would be a poor. Choice. I mean, also he's basically and he likes he's her. like her big brother, essentially. Like, come yes, on, yes. Ugh. I love, I love all of his people. They're such a wonderful, wonderful group of misfits, and they all work so well together. Yes. And I also really, really love that the Aaron Venture shows up. Because yes, I like the yes. part where Card is like, "I need to get a Star Destroyer," right? Because he sees the yes, where Card's reaction is just like, "So, where do I buy one?" <laughs> <laughs> Have I told you guys that my car is named after the Aaron Venture? Because I have a red no. SUV. That's awesome. That's kind of awesome. <laughs> Because I'm a nerd. Very good. So is it? It's just called Aaron Venture, or is it like a riff on that? Or no, I just call it the Aaron Venture, and every most no, people just look at me good. like, "What?" And then I think I told that to my friend Meg, who was like, "Oh, I get it." <laughs> and see, my only other question would would be: So was it originally red? <laughs> yes. Well, okay. Sort of. It, it was, but originally when we were going to get it, um, they were they were trying to convince us to get the navy blue one. And I was like, uh, well, I really want the red one. So can you give us that lower price for this? And so I got the red one because <laughs> I wanted to name it the nice. adventure. So, so yes. Negotiation. I, I did. I thought Booster would be very proud of me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
<sighs> I can be good now and not keep talking about Booster and the horns and all that. Because I have <laughs> feelings. Okay. I did. I I had feelings about Valenhorn, too. Because I just think he's like, he's just a nice kid. And I was worried about him. And I'm glad he showed up there at the end. I'm really glad. The children are so young. They are. It's so, so scary. But for Valen, I love that they did a callback with the bugs. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yes. like, that was really neat. Um, because that was in one of Stackpole's books, right? Yeah, that was actually in. So. Um, was it in I Jedi? It may have been. No, no, no. I, I mean, in um, it was in one of the previous ones because Corin was watching Valen and he like tried to do the telekinesis oh, thing, his- but he got the bugs yeah, to yeah, move the- it instead because he could talk to the bugs. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that they did that, and it makes it makes everything feel a little bit more connected when you have just even those tiny little moments between each book. And I think I immediately like heard in my mind the criticism of, well, that's his only trait, so they keep bringing it up. I'm like, no, he's a side character. It's better that he have a memorable trait than not have any at all, mm-hmm. even if it's, you know, one specific thing. I didn't mind that at all. Yeah. I didn't either. I mean, we've seen them give the kids uh, an affinity for something. Like, that was Jason's whole thing. Jason and his animals and Jaina Mm -hmm. and her ships. So it seemed reasonable to me. Yeah. Reasonable, realistic. I think it also makes characters just stick a little bit better in people's heads, especially in the big ensemble cast format. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So this is the book in which (laughs) Nenyim is great. (laughs) So I, uh, even reading that first paragraph really made me, the first one where she appears really kind of made me understand why I like her so much. Mm -hmm. And she's introduced in this paragraph that is not very exciting from her point of view. It's exciting when you think about it from the human point of view, because it's essentially the story of, you know, a terrible alien invasion. They've struck at the heart of the Jedi and they're beginning to recreate Yavin 4. But to Nen Yim, it's the first time she's ever been on a planet. She was raised on a world ship. And it just shows her being, it says she can hardly contain her giddiness and is like in awe of everything. And I really love that about her. Like we were saying just earlier, kids, like, you know, people are interested in things. Like her thing is like biology. And I really love that she's an analytical, scientific person who is happy for a little while it gives you this sense of her as she's ruthless in a lot of ways but she's also got this sort of light and joy to her that I really liked and found very I guess comforting is the word because I could identify with that I could identify with like wanting to do science and I wouldn't you know she basically tortures a person here I would not go that far (laughs) but as to say you know anything for science but I liked you know, taking away the kind of more sci-fi aspects of it, she's essentially a student, and I could really identify with that, and with someone who's, you know, kind of ambitious and has a goal. So I really like her. And speaking of her goal, uh, the first scene with is also like the first scene with her, or I guess the second scene, but it's the first chapter, is like the most disgusting scene in this entire series. <laughs> 
which uh, yes. my friend and I used to basically, you know, the Mufasa woo scene. Like, <laughs> we used to basically do that <laughs> with this chapter. Wait, what? Like, okay, hold on. I need some explanation there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, so this is like chapter, um, whatever, 13 or something. Uh-huh. And my one friend would occasionally just be like, oh, do you remember chapter 13? <laughs> and it was kind of like that, like, like, you hate it, but it's fun, you know? So you went, ooh, and do it again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, like, that was our, like, I guess we felt sort of transgressive, maybe, or it was just, like, I don't know. This chapter is just part of my teenage experience. Did you <laughs> because also- my friend likes to freak me out with it. Did you also mime, like, your, your hands being a, a mouth? There might have been some noises involved. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, this, okay, obviously, if you've read it, it's the scene where she gets her hand chopped off. Um, but because it's like there's squelching and like it's described as being very wet and like it's all gross. the descriptions gross. of the noises are all pretty impressively terrifying and gross. Yes. Can we do a yes. dramatic Actually- reading? <laughs> Like, um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not very good at sound effects, but <laughs> oh dear, I just I, you at least you have to make I don't think I am, effects. but it'll be pretty entertaining one way or another. <laughs> I just feel like this is we're gonna talk about it. So, <laughs> if I knew we were gonna do this, I would have like brought some like you know that popcorn slime. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see if I can actually find it. I thought it was it's in the teens. It's chapter 16, in case you're wondering. Okay, I was. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I can do... Oh, it's so gross. <laughs> the part... Is this going to turn into a contest of how long we last before we're like, look, no. <laughs> this is why. This is what... This is exactly what my friend and I did. Um, <laughs> okay, the grossest part is the wet snick. That's... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that sounds like some unfortunately named exotic bird. <laughs> it does. It also sounds like maybe like Wolverine fell into a pool or something. <laughs> yeah, actually. A yeah. pool of some kind of algae, biotechnology, something like that yeah (laughs) there's also my other favorite gross part is the thick greenish secretion oh okay you should probably see a doctor about that stuff (laughs) 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 like that was kind of my reaction to some of the description stuff just like no i might not be a doctor but my instinct is you should probably see someone about that tell me i know presumably that part would like yeah that part would like heal a little bit afterwards and not be greenish anymore pushed her gushing stump into the water wow (laughs) i feel like that's what you're not supposed to do with something bleeding but but in this case the water is filled with biotech and your new hand so that she passes that she passes out over because yes it was it was a successful graduation. She just cried and passed out a little. Yeah. Well, considering what graduation is usually like, probably in their world, I get the impression if your final project isn't good enough, you probably get sacrificed or something. So yeah. 
Listen, I oh, didn't get a new finger where with a thin, sharp, retractable claw when I graduated high school. So I feel like this is not fair. I, I agree. I feel like you got the short end of the stick in that deal. Yes. Yeah. How dare. Yeah. All I got was a fancy diploma and a really bad hangover for graduation. <laughs> so, yeah. I went to Yavin 4 and all I got was this six-fingered hand. <laughs> Put that on eight a t-shirt. Fingered, right? <laughs> well, Mezhan's is eight-fingered. Is Nanyim's eight-fingered also? Probably not. Because, like, no, you have to have something to work for. there yet. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so anyway, shapers are great, <laughs> and they, uh, they have tentacles on their heads. So, um, Nenyum and Meshan Quad have, like, <laughs> this cool, like, mentor relationship, and they also have this sort of tension of Meshan Quad as a heretic, and Nenyum, like, wants to feel out the fact that they're both heretics, and I really liked it. I liked the intrigue. I liked mm-hmm. that we got to learn more about the gods here and what the different Oh, types... we got so much good backstory on their religion and social structure that's like, well, this would have been useful a few books ago at times. Yeah, it's scarier oh. now that we know like what the fleet's capable of, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. And like now as they talk about this god and that god, I'm like, no really everyone thinks that this happened to me because the gods curse me not because my ex got mad yeah though i must admit that is some of the most spectacular revenge i have ever seen (laughs) yeah okay so (laughs) that's pretty impressive (laughs) oops did i just get us distracted no no, you you were, were that's on the list too um (laughs) <laughs> That's the thing about this. So I do one of the reasons I like this book so much is because it does have a lot of female characters. It has Tahiri, it has Nenyim and Mason Quad. But kind of lurking, sometimes literally lurking beneath all of that is the fact that both Nenyim and Mason Quad are uh not they're not defined by their relationships, but their relationships with men are involved. And this book was definitely had like a significant amount of like basically men who were angry that women weren't doing what they want them to do, which I guess is a universal in Yusan Bong society as it sometimes is in human mm-hmm. society. So do we want to talk about that or do you guys like how do you guys feel about Nenyim and Mezhan Quad? I love Nenyim dearly. I love her so much. She's she makes a lot of sense to me and her sense of wonder at seeing all these new things and must do science to the thing even when I've been told no. That sense is so familiar. I was a science major myself in college, and you are told no? So how firm is that no? And regardless of firmness, why don't we find out whether this doesn't work? This may end in trips to the fire extinguisher, 911, very embarrassing explanations, I need an extension on my paper. Thankfully, no problems about heresy, but I feel like a lot of a lot of us who are interested in science to any extent or who've studied it, we kind of understand that sense of wonder, that sense of, I want to play with the thing and see what happens. And even when your superiors say, no, you shouldn't, most of us are too darn stubborn to ever listen to that. And the contrast of I sometimes wonder if Nenyam actually knows how much of, like, what level Mejanquad's heresy is. Mm. If she knows that her superior is at the level of, I do not actually believe in the gods. Because I wonder if that's a, if that's like an ultimate heavy duty heresy 
I would think it would be. I think she knows. But I really don't know. I think like, Nenyum, I feel like Nenyum has at least some decent idea that that might be the level of it, but I If she doesn't tell. know at the beginning, she knows at the end. Because mm-hmm. she sees Meson Quad admit, basically admit it. And I would love to see what happened to Nenyum between when she, when Meson Quad kills Wurapung and when Nenyum talks to Sabangla, which is like an incredible scene also. Yeah. And because she had a lot to think about at that time and she had to figure out what she thinks about her mentor now and what she thinks about the gods now and what she's going to say. And I think part of what she decided is that she does continue, want to continue to do the work that Mezhan was doing. Yes, the I'm going to keep on doing the work, even though I know and have had demonstrated to me all the consequences. That determination of I think we're on to something here. So what if my superior said no? Yeah. Yes. I, I love that kind of stubborn, I'm on to something and I know it. And if they don't like it, whatever. She <laughs> also, I think she also gets smarter. Oh, after yeah. Mizah yeah, she dies because yeah. you have the part where again this is very scientist e of her where that spy dude soon to I can never pronounce soon is that yeah name? soon yeah. yeah he comes yeah. in and is like hey totally not a spy totally yeah. on your side and like she presses him a little bit but she doesn't think to go like she. You know, it's it's just enough pressing he's, to be like, okay, I believe you. He's also totally genetically manipulated to look like her old boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm just like, this is very... <laughs> I, I just like this that she gets... This is very creepy. That, but like, I don't know. I, I work with a decent number of... Granted, they're more computer science but like, they'll ask the basic questions, mm-hmm. and then they'll be like, okay, let's get back to research. This felt like that. Yeah, I sell. Yeah, and I like a lot that. of my clients are are scientists, engineers, doctors. I work with tons of engineers, and I speak enough scientists to be able to follow a lot of their logic. But there are definitely times when you just want to sit someone down and say, "You cannot analyze the thing to death, dear scientist." And seeing that interesting balance in Nenyim, where she does still. She does understand that there are times when it's better to think with her emotions. She seems to have a lot more touch with that than I than I feel like a lot of older shapers would also. And that's I really I really wish a little more of that had been explored because she was so close to figuring out that the guy was a spy, if any of that made any sense. I like that that part of <laughs> so her personality close. is both a weakness and a strength. Like, she's so focused, which is part of what makes her such a good shaper, but it also means that in this case, and as you said, I think she learns from this and this will not happen to her again, but she, it was so focused on her work that she didn't think, she wasn't thinking at the time about the intercaste politics i think we also got a really good view into how significant the intercaste politics is and just how big of a deal it actually really is because i i felt like i'd noticed some of that tension here and there but i think this also laid out very clearly like how how the shapers damn you texts there are very much if you are not a shaper entry is not permitted must have this many tentacles on your headdress to be allowed in whatever it is 
Yes, they're sort of cloistered away. So while we haven't yeah. seen them have power before because they weren't part of the front lines, we're now in their sanctum, you know, and they have they you do what they say in their sanctum and i also like that you get different shapers with different opinions you know there's four shapers in a room and they have four different motivations Mm -hmm. including nanyim who just really like wants to not be cooped up anymore and you know at some point that she like went out of the demotech and just like looked at the sky for a while and was just enthralled by that oh yeah yeah, she's she's totally the one where someone said, "Hey, it's raining outside," and of course she went outside to go play in the oh. rain because it's raining. <laughs> I can totally see that. Just like, let's go check out rain. Yes, for science, actually. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. And then she comes back inside and tortures Tahiri some more. But still, the great times. She is such a wonderful, wonderful character because because she's so multifaceted i think that's part of why i love her so much yes so oh the other thing that i wanted to mention because um it's weird and yusan vong family rules continue to be hilariously arbitrary is that they mentioned just once that master shapers can't have children and again it's never mentioned again like i kind of marked it down as like that's a thing to know but it's just all very arbitrary. They were definitely making up a lot of the Vong, Yuzan Vong rules as we went along. Yes, yes. I feel like oh, there were plenty of rules that also feel like they'd been made up specifically for the purpose of what's going to seem weirdest or most jarring to our audience. Yeah. It felt a little bit like that because... You have to carry on your species somehow, right? So why does it seem to have such strict regulations about who is allowed to have children if you, especially if you just moved into a new galaxy and suddenly you have a lot more space? Yeah, I think maybe the traditions they developed on the world ships might have contributed to this because a world ship is big, but it can only survive. It can only have a certain population on it before you get start getting like nutrients like you don't have enough nutrients for all of your people and stuff so i think some of well, that especially if you have to feed your ship regularly yeah so i think some of that might be i mean it's arbitrary because it's it's i think metafictionally it's not this deep but if i was going to headcanon it which i am <laughs> it's that they're having to recreate a lot of those rules because it was different in the world ship you couldn't have the, the population was restricted you couldn't have children in a lot of circumstances so the rules were filtered down through their religion obviously and that affected you know shapers in certain ways and warriors in certain ways and maybe they thought that shapers have i'm totally in like fanfic headcanon territory now but maybe they thought that shapers because they create so many creatures like they are keep their building new animals even sometimes and creating new populations of creatures that that was their portion of the resources of the world so either you can have a yusun vong baby or you can have a terrarium but you can't have both kind of thing for the record i'd have a terrarium <laughs> first no, i mean i actually know how same, to care for yeah. that 
But yeah. I mean, I'm looking at a terrarium right now, so I guess I've made my choice. But we all knew this was going that way. Yeah. Does it have tentacles? Oh no, <laughs> no nothing in it has tentacles. Does it get up and walk on its own? The terrarium does not. The, the creature inside uh, does. Oh good. <laughs> See, I have a gecko in there, so he's uh, he's my science project, I guess. Please don't chop off one of his legs and attach a new one on with, you know, extra fingers. I feel like that would be bad. I, I'm so sorry, Charmander. You don't know we're talking about you in such graphic detail. His legs would grow back, I think. But no. Let's not find I'm out. I'm not going to do that. Don't listen to this podcast for gecko husbandry, please. Don't. <laughs> Or adulting tips, for that matter. Aside from maiming (laughs) geckos. Aside from maiming geckos. Every time you kept talking about the world ships, and I just keep thinking about the Quarians in Mass Effect, except they're like the opposite ends, because, you know, one's all techie and one's all not techie. Yes. Probably similar, like, necessity to balance things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So... Um, we talked a little bit about shamed ones and the Yusanvang world building. Um, anyone want to add anything more about that? We'll talk a little bit more about Vua Rapun later, I think. Um, yeah, because that's going to be a very long tangent. Is that where we're gonna? Is that where we get to talk more about the shamed ones? Or are we gonna yeah. do that here? Okay. Wait, what was that? The uh, too here well, or later? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. We can, um, Kind of either one. Uh, we can talk about them now, or we can talk about them later. I feel like so we talk either, about whichever them. you prefer. If if what's his face is later, I feel like we talk about them later then. Okay. I yes. So the next thing I want to do is uh, talk about Tahiri because we've been skirting around the descriptions of her torture. Basically, she is. I really like her a lot. I like her pre and post uh, new personality impl- implantation. She is introduced as, um, you know, she's a child, right? But Anakin hasn't seen her in a while. And he's remar- he remarks on how she looks like she's growing up. And she's a teenager now. And they are, like, navigating their new teenage feelings. Um, I like her because she's loud and has quirks and opinions. And she is uh, very strongly motivated in this book by trying to regain a sense of her own personality and her own self. She's been part of three entirely different cultures at this point in her life. Um, sand people, humans, and Yusanbang, and that's if you don't count Jedi as a cult, like a separate culture. And I just think that mix is very, it makes her character really distinct. And I want to talk a little bit more about like Rina Quad but also, I don't want to go on and on about it. So, anything you want to add about her as a person, or her as her as a human, rather, and her and Anakin? I love that the first thing she says to him is, "Hi yourself, great hero from the stars, who's too good to keep in touch with his best friend," and then just keeps going and yes. drags him because he couldn't be bothered to be like, "Hey, dearie, here's what's going on in my life," and I'm just like, "Girl, get him." <laughs> yeah yeah she is so shamelessly honest and the very way that they banter he's being so awkward and just the way they banter it's 
you can tell they've been good friends for a good long while and they know each other. She is so completely unfiltered about, hi, I still exist. I'm not that much younger than you. And she seems so much older than 14 and it really disturbs me when I actually realize she's 14. Yeah. I was really struck by the difference in their dialogue between when they're in the Demotech and when they're in the ship because both of them have gone through such this journey and then they get back together and for a minute they're kids again they're like talking as if they're kids and then she kind of they get about 10 minutes of that and then she has to interface with the Yusan Vang ship they're in and she's she can't go back from that and it's just yeah. very sad and I think some of the dialogue, like, it wasn't the most amazing dialogue in the world, but it made me feel feelings about how they were, like, they've lost innocence in so many senses of, of the term. So very much. A lot of growing up way faster than they ever should have had to, and it's so obvious. And then to have them it's talk wild. like, you know, elementary school kids after all that's There's... happening, when... Anakin now has a lambent in his lightsaber, and Tahiri has scars on her face, and Tahiri speaks a language she was never taught. It's just... Ugh. It's so disturbing and so sad, and in a way, them acting like kids again, it almost feels like... feels like they're kind of unconsciously trying to figure out where, where they are and just how much they really had to grow up so suddenly. Yes, and Anakin learns so much. I think I like that in this book he learns kind of to see the Yusanvang as people but not as allies. Like, at no point does he go, okay, they're all fine. Like, he's never on their side. And he very specifically associates with them with the dark side because he has that vision of Tahiri as, like, a Yusanvang, like, priest almost. Or, and also being on the dark side at the same time and then throughout the book he's navigating what where do the Yusanbang fit in the force and by the end he has a resolution to that yeah and the way and the way he comes to see them as people it's it was really interesting to see that he was willing to hear them out and listen to them and also realized by the more he learned the more of no I cannot like, he cannot see them as allies at any point or befriend them. It's just inherently opposed to what everybody else in the galaxy wants. But he's understanding more of why they do what they do. And especially in retrospect, that's immensely important. And especially Tahiri's feeling that, too. I found it, I always found it very interesting and very disturbing that these shapers built such a complete personality for her. She's a, you know, a domain quad. She has memories from a Yusanbang childhood oh, yeah. that, as far as we know, never actually happened to to her. And Wait, Rina quad? I feel like I'm remembering hmm? something about where they're from. You are. Okay, you sorry, are. sorry. It's later. My bad. It's okay. No, I, I yeah. <laughs> um, so... And she is, uh, Rena kind of, like, has a motivation also. And Tahiri is torn between these two sets of memories, and which 
I like will fully admit part of me is like I think it's cool to have like an alien presence like imprinted onto you and you you're not quite human anymore and like you got these neat scars on your face like that sounds fine <laughs> but you know as fiction <laughs> oh, um, yeah. oh yes yes because it's fiction yeah, exactly like it's absolutely it's well constructed horrifying and absolutely fascinating and I think the level of both I think a good sign to me that it's really well constructed is that it's both really scary and really kind of cool. Yeah, and I think that's what this. I think that's what it was meant to be. It's um, it's neat, up, except for the part where like anytime she thinks about being Tahiri and the Force, pain, and then more pain, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh, that's that's not any good. That's, yeah, that's it's bad. Uh... It's it's very it's a bit traumatizing also. And she's 14. Like I keep every time I remember that she's 14, I'm just like how did I read this when I was like 15, 16 and not go, "Wow, this is disturbing." I do think this is one of those cases where it's almost harder to read when you're older because when you're a teen you're like yeah I also feel like I don't know what my own personality is and I also feel like I Mm -hmm. sometimes have alien emotions that I don't understand or at least that was part of like why I liked her I think yes yes I agree but also at that time I don't really think I grasp just how horrifying this book is yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Definitely is like more I did not remember how intense this book was whatsoever. And in reread, I'm just like, how did I allow fifteen year old me to read? Because this? honestly though, I think but I think how? that's part of it is as teenagers yeah. we don't get it. Yeah. Like when we re- when we read these books, and I think that's kind of cool and it it is because I mean we're we're definitely picking up on or at least I I know I am a lot more of like mm-hmm. holy crap this is awful whereas when I was younger I'm like oh you're getting yeah. tortured that's not great and then I just kept reading <laughs> which makes teenage me sound like a jerk but I I don't know or maybe it's because we're but that's the way teenagers work, yeah. I think. <laughs> like, as, like, having had that kind of same reaction, just like, yeah, that's kind of horrifying. But as a teenager, it was compartmentalized very differently than as an adult when I'm just like, oh, wow, this is actually, like, way super intense and very much the sort of thing that on screen, like, in movie or TV form, I would not want to watch something that intense, personally. No. But as a book, okay. Yeah, this <laughs> one would definitely be hard to watch. I also think yeah, I don't, I don't think I can do the, it, and I tend to think I have a strong. I could stomach. do the hand. Yeah, I no. couldn't do fourteen-year-old Tahiri getting tortured. That would yeah, be the part I couldn't take. Fourteen. Oh yeah. 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 No. no. Yeah. The um, other thing I think that kind of makes it a little easier in a way is that it is from Nanyim's point of view a lot. So like, there was that mm-hmm. one scene where she's having a completely different conversation with uh, Soon, I think. And then she just sort of casually, like, basically flips the pain switch and then keeps having the conversation. Like, Nenyim herself is emotionally detached from this, and that makes it horrifying in a different way than it would be if this was 50,000 words from Tahiri's point of view. It's still horrifying, but it's horrifying because it's detached or in a detached way. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely makes a lot of sense. It just also makes it worse now, though, because they don't... 
I don't have another word for this besides subhuman, but that's, I guess, sub Yuzen Vong is how they see Tahiri as being. So I guess it's not... It's like the people who, who would torture animals and be like, eh, it's just an animal, whatever. Not, yeah, which is yeah. also terrible. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. It's just, yeah. Ugh. It's, I almost see it. Yeah. It's such a defining thing for Yuzanbong yeah. culture. It's the pure nonchalance of it. The, yes, this is just what I do in a day's work. Yes. And that kind of, what is the phrase? The banality of evil, I think, yeah. is the way yeah. I've heard it described. And in a way, that's almost much more unsettling than the over-the-top, hello, we're evil. Okay, something it's, just it, occurred to me. The it's just a day's work is almost scarier. Something just occurred to me because, so the Yuzen Vong love their pain, right? They're all about pain, the gods, etc. Yeah. So they set it up so that when Tahiri thinks, or rather... When Rena thinks about being Tahiri and any of the stuff associated with her old life, there's pain, right? And that's how it's set up to be. So, hypothetically, if this had worked, would that have stayed? Because if she goes full, full Yuzen Vong, then maybe she would be thinking about using the Force on purpose? And, like a, chasing a, a yeah. high in a way? It's a good question. I I think maybe what they were going for was that by the time her mentality switched over to the point where she wanted to be in pain, she would also have completely been engulfed by the Rena memories. So she wouldn't have to, or she wouldn't have reason to think about her Jedi past because she'd instead be thinking about like she's going to do the body modification or do something else to get yes. like that the use hanvong version of a high but they, right but they did also want her to still be able to use the force right or am i thinking wrong yes so i'm like they did no which is yes which is meant to be yeah. fairly painful but if she's fully rena where she's following all of their sadomasochistic pain seeking it's basically addiction then having Absolutely. Uh, endorphin highs are Oof. scary powerful. <laughs> and pain tolerances really do evolve over time if you have to get good at it, at it. And the way human physiology works around pain, you know that there was a ton of research done into that. <laughs> like, like for the sake of for the sake of writing some of this. It's it's really interesting because then if accessing any of the Tahiri memories or accessing anything force-related is going to cause pain, if it's the Rena side who is very much okay with pain and sees it as something religious and normal, then wouldn't it be okay to access the Tahiri memories because that's part of that's part of what a proper Yuzanbong would do? This is messed up. That's why I think they're trying to get her to to forget them. Yeah, this is even more messed up the more I think of it, but it also makes sense, is a, which is also really creepy. Yeah, this is a downward spiral of messed up, isn't That also it? ties into what we were saying before about the banality of evil. I think the book doesn't really go into this too much, but I think maybe one of the reasons that Nen, Yim, and Mezhan don't see this... I mean, they, they kind of see it as torture because they've they've arranged it as torture but also they don't 
they don't think of inflicting pain in the same way as humans do. I think they are, they, if, well, although they're also heretics, so they wouldn't think, like, she's suffering for the good of the gods, because they don't believe in the gods. Okay, never mind. <laughs> they're just, yeah. Ooh, this does get really hard taking into account the Yeah, because they wouldn't, like, they would find the pain <sighs> useful, but they wouldn't. Maybe Nenya might have some yeah. leftover feelings of piety, but they'd be left over. And meanwhile, Mezhan Quad is like, I am a yeah. goddess, shoots her fingernails through the crowd. <laughs> well, like, well, oh my god. Basically, which was a pretty awesome scene, let's <laughs> you be gotta honest. Go. But it's like, a pretty good way to go. <laughs> I'd go out with a bang, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bria, was that a... It sounded like you were skeptical. I, I, you know... <laughs> Either that or desperately trying to avoid some kind of interesting outburst. I, there's different ways I think I'd be okay. I, that's not really high on my list. That just sounds... Mm. Yeah, no, I have nothing. It also is a problem in a way because she... This goes back to what we were saying about how Yusan Bong... You, this book shows they have a lot of different opinions. Because Azan Quad was not heroic in any way. She was not trying to do this for the greater good. She was a lot about um, bringing herself more power, and she was also about basically getting her boyfriend out of the way. And it was this mix of, like, I liked it. It was like, she was just kind of high on power for a while and I thought that was fun but it was also over this really petty drama a little bit oh all the petty relationship drama and then realizing how much it just blows up in everyone's faces yeah. wow <laughs> sometimes it's like I could almost subtitle that and you thought high school was nuts <laughs> well so that leads to um, let's talk about Bua Rapung and the uh, the shapers or the excuse me the shamed one stuff because this is the book where we learn more about the shamed ones and uh, about how Bua Rapung sort of fell from grace and insists that he's not shamed one when in fact he has been poisoned. So it sounded like Bria, you had a lot of thoughts about this. Mostly that I kept wincing every time I read it. Because, oh dear lord, this dialogue would not fly now. Like, I'll just be blunt. You can yeah. tell this book is from before 9-11. Yes. Oh, because yes. the number yeah. of times he yelled infidel, I'm like, this is really uncomfortable. <laughs> this is... I know yeah. they didn't... Like, there's no way they could have done that on purpose. Not with how publishing schedule works schedules work and actually i don't even know when in 2001 this was published but yeah i i think he has an interesting character arc but dear lord he made me so uncomfortable every time i read him being like your ignorance is awful infidel and i'm like can, can we chill can we just chill for one minute <laughs> yeah that's that's what i have yeah, that's uh, that's understandable. I had not made the 9-11 connection, but I see where you're coming from. 
Yeah, I I definitely did get some of that vibe as I was reading the dialogue. I'm just like, if this were written today, a lot of his dialogue, even if the overall meaning were the same, I definitely think it would be reworded. I mean, I thought the whole concept of like all the shame one stuff is really interesting because especially the fact that like someone can fake you being a shamed one and you have to sort of wonder how many others did shapers like were there any other shapers who mess with people um almost definitely like i 110 percent believe that there have to have been other shapers who have whether it was because of love affairs that ended poorly because of someone they really hated i mean say there's someone in another cast who you really hate what better way to get your revenge on them than making sure that their implant goes a little wrong and well, it yeah. happens. Clearly, it was just the will of the just, gods. Oh, it's, Oops. It's messed up. It's very convenient. And I... It feels like... It feels like it's a ticking time bomb, basically. Like, noticing that Vua Rapung's running around going, Look, I was not meant to be a shamed one. I got messed up here. And nobody believes him. But the fact that you realize partway through, like, wait, his story is actually pretty plausible, come to think of it. Even if we didn't know, like, even if we didn't know much about Nezhan Quad's character, just like the idea that a shaper could actually have deliberately done something yeah. wrong. Hmm. That in particular was definitely a part where I was like, I have a feeling this has happened before, whether that means, like, shapers who used, or excuse me, shamed ones who used to be warriors insisting that they are still warriors or shamed ones who were, you know, basically someone did that to them. Because um, the way the other warriors reacted was just so dismissive and so, like, they were, like, bullying him, essentially. It was not subtle. No, not mm-hmm. in the least. Yeah. And I don't don't have any great feel. Like, I don't have many feelings about Vua Rapun. He's a... And a window into the world more than a strong character, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad. I, I'm glad he. Yeah. This is gonna sound weird. Like, I'm glad he's included, but also he makes me uncomfortable. I think that's where I come down on him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The concept of his character works really well, and especially. Especially in a bunch of scenes where we're getting some much-needed exposition about yeah. their culture. A lot of that. There are plenty of, remember this, excuse me, remember this little detail here and there. This may come in handy later. <sighs> excuse me. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of the little details and a lot of the world building in this were so immensely useful and it's the sort of thing that you would really kind of have to have a Yushan Bong to tell and yeah. to explain and we don't usually get a lot of opportunity for one to sit I down mean, and tell you I, this I is what we I think it's fair believe. to say that Anakin definitely wouldn't have arrived to the point of view that he does without him being there. I do wonder kind of when Nen Yim's feelings about her own philosophy developed because we know that she was working with a heretic. We know that he was captured um, or rather, you know, uh, imprisoned for what he was doing. And we know that Nen Yim then harbored her own uh, heretical ideas, which in this case, it doesn't get into it too many specifics, but in this case basically means using 
techniques and you like doing experiments that have never been done before. So I do wonder whether she was always kind of a skeptic and whether that skepticism extends to things like the caste system, whether she is angry at the entire system because of what happened or whether she's more, her motivation is more uh, less about the system and more about the experimentation itself. Like I'm going to, like, I don't mind that our, our system, you know, lends itself to shaming a person being a useful uh, societal act or whether she was just like, I want to see what happens when I do this with these, you know, bugs or whatever. And that was her driving motivation. And I think it can be both. She's not, she's not counterculture in any way. You know, I don't think she would have a, like, great deal of affinity for someone like Bua Rapun either. I think you're right. So let's move on to talk about the Jedi a little bit. I have, I don't have it in my notes here, but I had, I uh, was very amused because every time Cam Solisar appears in this book, he's ominously moving out of the shadows. He like startles Talon Card and <laughs> apparently one of their techniques <laughs> for deterring uh, people from coming into the Jedi Temple unexpectedly is that Cam Solisar will just turn out all the lights and like make his voice really echoey and try to sound creepy. <laughs> dramatic he's so dramatic and i totally love it you know he's totally totally had to use that ability before for telling good bedtime stories to the kids right right i mean okay (laughs) what else would you do with that other than like the best bedtime stories if people want to think jedi are scary i'll be scary okay on several planets but (laughs) yep but that's all I have to say about him. I just thought it was funny. Hey, that sometimes he in these situations, the that probably comes in handy. And then we do get a little bit of Mara and Luke in this chapter. Their chapter stressed me out because <laughs> they were so stressed. Like the part where Luke is like, he doesn't want anybody to touch him. I was like, okay. big mood. And yeah, so but that's that's about all I have to say about that. That they were they are very uh, stressed. Yeah. Also, Mara's sentiment about about pregnancy. I love you dearly. You are, what is it? You are my light. You are my life and my light. If ever you do this to me again, I will vape you where I stand. I feel like I have heard similar things from other pregnant women in my life. And I'm like, well, duly noted. Wow. (laughs) Yes. Like, thank you very much for the warning. I absolutely love how her attitude is still so intensely Mara. (laughs) It makes me feel better after all we know and love. Not that balance point was like (laughs) God awful for her or anything, but I just feel better (laughs) about the Mara we got in this book. Yes. (laughs) I definitely do feel at least a bit better. I thought it was a little weird that she did frame that as like something that was done to her, but I guess that's number one. The Star Wars galaxy is, like, science in that regard is not great. And also, it sounds like that's just kind of how, I, I don't know, you said you've heard women talk like that before. so that's uh, just Yes, that I've happens. certainly heard that a few times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Luke is kind of responsible. Because well, it didn't yeah. happen by us. <laughs> Mara didn't just go, I'm pregnant one day. <laughs> Mara's half well, responsible. She's half <laughs> responsible, but let me put it this way: he was a driving factor. <laughs> uh, 
I'm just saying. Yep. <laughs> I'm sorry. Apparently like- now it's my job to make inappropriate jokes about Mara and Luke on the podcast. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm not sorry. <laughs> Good, because I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was about to say, I thought inappropriate jokes were about Luke and Mara were just normal. <laughs> or... You know, I would like to think so, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> should should we save Megan and maybe talk about something else? Probably. <laughs> well, I, I was, like before I fall I off this chair again. I was gonna do our counters. Oh yeah. Let's let's do our counters. Did, um, did we talk about Anakin yet? So, or did we skip him? Oh, we talked about we talked about Anakin a little bit. Um, I I mostly wanted to talk about his. Uh, how he developed his theory about, like, his philosophy about the U.S. Sunbong and how much more certain it was than Jason's theories, but we didn't go too far into, like, his development, so we can talk more about that. Sorry, I'm trying not to sneeze right now. I'm also... Anything I discuss regarding (laughs) Jason's development of theories on the U.S. Sunbong, tune in a few more months and ask me about that in more detail. (laughs) Well, I just, I just loved how they have a conversation that Jason yeah. and Anakin do toward the end, and Anakin's basically like, and then I came to a resolution, and I feel better. And Jason's like, I've never heard yeah, of that. What is that? Yeah, <laughs> Jason's too busy screwing up the galaxy for all the uh, Jedi. Yes, Jason has to go because... sit in his corner and think for a very long time, and if, even if he has a conclusion, he has to go think a little bit more about it. And... <sighs> and I... As someone who tends to be more on the Jason side of the spectrum, I feel for him and sort of admire Anakin's ability to, like, learn from his musings. Yes, that But also, must be it was nice. just kind of funny how I was like, how Anakin was like, no, I'm fine. I figured it out. <laughs> Jason was like, I need to go make a spreadsheet about my emotions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh and that God, right there amazing. explains that right there explains like everything about why I still intensely over identify with Jason. <laughs> <laughs> like, I get that. I feel that too. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, how else does one sort everything out? I, mean, I, I usually don't the- use a. I don't use a spreadsheet usually, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, they're better for financial decisions. Okay, now that's the weirdest thing I've said all day. I think I don't remember. I mean, you're Um, not wrong. They are better for financial decisions. Yes. But, yeah, just seeing seeing how the solo siblings, they're all so clearly similar and so totally different, and seeing all three of them together at the end being siblings, and you can tell they actually do legit like each other, even if they give each other a hard time. It's it's really cute. Yes. It's really, really adorable. I love that Jaina and Jason are just like, all right, Let's go find Booster Tarek so we can go save our little brother. <laughs> yes, their journey. reaction to Anakin's in trouble is a very Buffy-esque, must be Tuesday. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and and just like, yeah, we're, we're good at dealing with this sort of thing. We might have some practice in it. Yeah. It was, I thought it was fitting that they, uh, that Anakin met someone they had dealt with in the past good old quarrel oh yes that was that was kind of interesting i forgot he was in this book yeah me (laughs) too actually i was like my notes are just his name in all caps with like four question marks after it (laughs) 
yeah. <laughs> and then he ended up hanging out with the Peace Brigade, the ex-Peace Brigade guy. Yeah, he taught him a lesson yeah. about life, the universe, and being on the yeah. right side. I don't know. Which they had such a moment. I don't remember the other guy's name, but they had no, such a moment I. where they were, Anakin was just like, what's going on? And Coral and the other guy were like, wink, we're friends now. <laughs> and Anakin was just like, okay. <laughs> By friends, you mean... I got the impression that Coral used the blunt force trauma method of making friends. I feel that's like that was Quarrel. alluded to. Yeah. That's Coral in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Hey, idiot. Colk with his mechanical arm. Yup. Yup. <laughs> I like that Anakin has an affinity for, like, his affinity for Yavin 4 and his affinity for, like, he thinks of it as home, mm-hmm. and that sense really drives him through this book, and I, as well as his sense of having to rescue Tahiri, and I like that. And there's something, I don't know, I feel like Jason and Nenyim could talk about animals in a better, friendlier, alternate world, but that's not gonna happen. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking through my notes about the parts where Anakin is traveling across Yavin, and mostly it's actually about the Yusan Vong technology. So, yeah, he Anakin had a rough time this book. Yeah, I mean, he really did. He like traveled for weeks across. Yeah, I know. I I see a note somewhere about whoa, it took like two weeks. Okay, so that gave me way more perspective on how long they were messing with Tahiri and. Then that made me go, whoa, she is substantially tougher than than I think any of us expected. Plus, that was ridiculously traumatic. The fact she's even vaguely functional afterwards. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I also have questions about how he existed inside the belly of a fish for, like, more than a few hours. <laughs> Wasn't he wearing a breather? Yeah, like, but, yes. like... <laughs> Eating, drinking, other bodily necessities, like I, I you know what I'm gonna stop yeah, thinking he about. Was it. Only in there for a couple hours. I thought it was a while. I thought it was longer than that. Was I wrong? Oh. Is it? I could be. I don't know, but I just completely I lost it at I've just been vomited by a fish. Yeah. <laughs> fish vomiting. It was good. Yeah. I had also that was a cargo creature, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I had. I guess I was under the impression, and maybe this is headcanon as much as anything else, was that it was a cargo creature, and like it was supposed to be able to store stuff in its stomach, so it was less. It wasn't acidic in there because it was basically just a large container, like a you know, it was a boat. Yeah. So, okay. Here's he didn't have all the stuff. Oh, functions. here's why I got confused because he goes. Here's a line where he says the only bright spot was that he hadn't eaten anything for a day and a half. <laughs> oh. That's that's why I got. That's oof. Okay. Oh, yeah. Vomited a... by a fish. Some kind of silver Ugh. lining. Yeah. Uh... Yeah. God, that's so gross. Yeah. And there's. The description later of them, like, crawling through a tube that's basically trying to swallow them. Yeah! And it's, uh, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty gross. Yeah. 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 But his lightsaber is cool. Oh, his lightsaber's awesome. (laughs) His lightsaber is cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I did like that though, like how he uses, how he fixes it with the crystal. That was neat. And it's the first connection that we see. There's there are a lot of things that are like that I don't want to talk about because they're spoilers. But a lot of things that are started in here, and one of them is that experimentation on both sides of ways to combine the technology. So just as because in a way, Anakin's doing science too. He's seen how the lambens work, and you know, fixing up his lightsaber. And uh, meanwhile, Nanyim is doing her science. Yeah, there was definitely a part, uh, how can I say this without it being a spoiler? There was a part where I went, oh, card, no, don't. Yeah, this is the part where card does a thing that has repercussions. And I don't, I feel like I didn't pick up on, like, how many things this book lays down the groundwork for later on down the line. There are so, through. so, so many moments of, hold on, this will come in, in handy later. Please remember this point. Or not handy. Yeah. I mean, uh. Uh, <laughs> no, that wasn't me making a joke. It was just, it's not going to be good. Yeah, no, no. And yeah, I had also forgotten that this decision leads to a thing later and yeah i guess it's good foreshadowing if you don't you can't tell it's foreshadowing until you get to the where it's not even foreshadowing it's just like making you know it's a plot point (laughs) and then it's a need to go back and read it and go oh that's where that was going yeah yeah i more there are so many things like tune in a few months and ask us about this again yeah yes in a uh in other sort of tied in news i love that they just because i realize in the timeline um that the short story recovery is set that's in the star by star paperback is set before this or during this and i'm like they just shoved han and leia like off screen like where's han and leia oh they're doing something it's fine don't worry about it they did everything but say go read this ebook online yeah that was a very (laughs) convenient no really they're gone somewhere (laughs) Like, no, no, really. They're conveniently not here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now, Booster Tarek, of all the people in the galaxy, has a Star Destroyer full of Jedi kids. Nothing can possibly go wrong with this yes. plan. No. <laughs> also, Booster. <laughs> it gave them to Booster. Yup. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, hey, boy. between all the adults and all of this, we might be able to come up with one responsible adult. <laughs> a Star Destroyer seems like a pretty safe place for them right about now. Yeah. It's probably the least unsafe place. <laughs> okay, that's, about, <laughs> but as it's that's true. about as good as it's going to get in this galaxy. But it's Booster. basically what... <laughs> well, it's still <laughs> probably the least <laughs> unsafe <laughs> place. Which says a lot about the state right of the, the galaxy. They say, no place seems safe anymore. And... That's true. Yeah. Nope, you're right. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. How can anything be safe? There's also... Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm looking at my notes again. And the dialogue. Tahiri has dialogue about... I think Mezhan Quad destroyed everything I am. When I killed her, it was the end of me. Which, like... Can we talk about the angst and the identity crisis? I know we kind of did already, but just reading that quote brought it back to me and how she kind of, like, 
there are so many splinters of Tahiri, you know, she needs the fan art where she's looking into a mirror. It's yeah. going to take a little while to find all the little pieces of her identity and figure out which ones are going where and all of that. Ugh, it's so sad. It's really so sad. Ugh. It is. I'm glad that she finds ways to use oh, it. Yeah. I'm glad that she took control of the ship at the end and... It, you can see that it gives her power, even as it also is Yeah, horrible. Like, you can absolutely see, like, she knows well and truly that this is something incredibly useful she's got here. It's just a matter of how traumatic really is it to actually deal with it, use it, anything like that. Yes. Yeah. Plus, I mean... Speaking of trauma, we actually add, like, a lot of Jedi deaths in this yes. book. So many! <laughs> I think this is the most, because we had three in the previous books, the previous six books, and there are four in this book alone. So That was crazy. Starting. The snowball keeps rolling. And, like, three of them were in the very beginning, right, where there's vignettes in which the Peace Brigade continues to be useless. Uh, That's my tangent. My tangent is going to be the Peace Brigade admitted they were useless in this book, which is a step for them. Yes. (laughs) And... Yes, but so that brings us to so, so three vignettes plus uh, Ikrit's death that brings us to a total of seven Jedi deaths, seven deaths for seven. I feel months. like there was more, but I don't know. Maybe that's just I my. I feel like there were, but I don't remember. That might just be my perception because I know like a couple books from now is when the slaughter really happens. But yeah, it's. This is not a super scientific count. I've completely lost track of the Kipsa-Jerk references. Uh, there was one, so there was one like, whole scene that was a giant <laughs> Kipsa-Jerk reference. True. An understandable jerk, but a jerk nonetheless. Yeah. I did keep an eye out for the Jedi this time, though. I tried to. Cool. And yeah. no more dead Nogri on the count yet. No. No dead, no Greek, because there were... None whatsoever. Were there no, because no Han and Leia are on a ship somewhere. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, the no Greek are on vacation. Were away in a short story. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh, they need it. Ugh, seriously. Oh, no, um, now I have a mental image of no Greek wearing Hawaiian shirts. That's beautiful. Oh, dear. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, wow, my brain is really toast. So, our... <laughs> Our, oh my gosh, Yusan Vong Beach episode. <laughs> okay, now I'm seeing so I'm questions... seeing a shaper headdress with all of its tentacles like crawling away towards the ocean just to go chill out. It'll just grab one of those umbrellas that you put in drinks, like the tiny umbrellas. Yes, but what about a bioengineered umbrella? It kind of... A bioengineered tiny umbrella. <laughs> it drank all of the drink while waiting for yes. you to get back and drink it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> how, how irresponsible. Oh. Your hat drank all of <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, oh boy. Th- this is just getting better, um, isn't okay, it? Okay, I want to tackle our questions. I want to tackle our questions from uh, yeah, pa- Patreon. Patreon. Right? Um, so we talked about uh, fan casting. Uh, Nancy asks, how cute are Anakin and Tahiri? They are very cute. But they haven't reached maximum cuteness yet. No, not yet. No. They're very sweet, and them, like, huddling together in the cave was very sweet. Yeah. Um, 
Jeff asks, what do y'all think of Ikrit? Do you think this is a fitting end for him? <laughs> um, I... He's a rabbit. <laughs> He's a freaking yeah. rabbit. Okay. I'm not a green rabbit. When I was younger, he is a color-changing rabbit. <laughs> when I was younger, I loved him. My friend had a fan character who was that species. We just thought it was so cute because we were young and we were like, yeah, obviously, like, a... a-, a- a cat-shaped Jedi is the ideal thing. And I can't really get that image out of my head, so I still take Ikrit very seriously. Um, (laughs) I Do I think this is a fitting end for him? I I didn't, as much as I love, like, what we got in this, I didn't have a super attachment to him. Um, I wasn't, like, really attached to his previous, the stuff he was previously in, so... It was a it was a heroic death. It worked very much like the ones that were shown in the vignettes in the beginning with like Dorsky eighty two and stuff. So yeah, I think it was fine. Yeah, I have no particular feelings about Ikrit, honestly. But color changing rabbit instantly makes me go, wait, how did I end up in Alice in Wonderland here? But I just I also didn't read the Junior Jedi Knight series, so I feel like that's probably why I don't really have any strong feelings one way or another. Yeah. I was always a YJK person. Yeah. I have too. more feelings about Quarrel than I do Ikrit. Yes. Sorry. I have all the YJK feelings. <laughs> so many. Like, all of them. <laughs> He will be remembered as the Jedi deaths continue to uh, to rack up. All right, so I think I managed to talk about some things that were not an endium in that episode. So success. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have not written fan fiction for this book yet, but I've been thinking about it. So we'll see. That's uh, that's about all I have about um conquest again this one always feels like it was longer to me because this one is like has so much weight it just seems so important to me that it seems like it was weeks and weeks and weeks in my own mind which it when it wasn't really but it's a good book i like it and it's a little odd also i kind of love this book a lot because for all that it is really gory and disturbing in parts (sighs) excuse me Sorry, apparently I'm way more tired than I think I am. But, like, (laughs) regardless of how gory and disturbing it is, it's well-crafted and gives us a lot of info. Like, it really builds a culture very well. And I think that's part of why the impact is so strong. They build up how Yuzhambang culture works so much. Because without that context, I don't really think this book would be half so impactful. It would just be, okay, this is gross. Yeah, I really I like the book a lot, and I think it I think it's helped by the fact that it comes after three books of not great Bob for me. Um, mm-hmm. But I will say, without spoilers, that as much as I enjoy reading about, or not, I would say enjoy reading about, but as much as I enjoy this book, to me, what's more exciting is the aftermath for Tahiri. Like that catches me more. So, next book's going to be fun. Not yeah. fun. Fun. Because you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. 
All right, so uh, yeah, next time we're going to talk about Edge of Victory 2. And in the meantime, uh, where can people find you? Where uh, Where is your villip, Bria? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chaos Bria, um, and then also on Tashi Station and Whitehall Room for somewhat regular posts. And then you can also read uh, my comments and thoughts on comics on StarWars.com. Cool. And Rocky? I am Lady Darth Kytus on Twitter. I am some blend of a Star Wars and World of Warcraft account, along with car opinions, life stuff, and other things. And there are indeed some of my various writings on 1138 as well. Cool. And I can be found on Twitter at Blogville of Words. I write for Den of Geek, Star Wars Insider, and StarWars.com. I also have uh, choose your own adventure games up at uh, Philomena. My username there is also blog full of words. This podcast is distributed as part of the Tashi Station Network. Um, join us next time when you read uh, Edge of Victory 2. And you can read and tweet along with us by using the hashtag Vongcast. Thanks for listening, and until next time. Bye.